of Holiness podcast with Reverend Carolyn Moore and Reverend Pierce Drake. Join us today as we lean into practical holiness, intergenerational relationships, and supernatural ministry. This is a New Room Network podcast. We're so glad you're here. Let's jump in. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Art of Holiness podcast. My name is Pierce Drake, and with Carolyn Moore, as always. Um, and my friends, I hope you are doing well. I hope you are doing so well. Carolyn, we just got to spend a week together. Um, yes, and, we did. And with so many of, you know, uh, friends at New Room Conference uh, a few weeks ago, um, and uh, by the time this episode comes out, a few weeks ago. And you know what was great? I'm so thankful for you guys as listeners. There was multiple people who stopped me in the hall and told me how much oh. they loved the episode and um, how much they love talk uh, like the, what we're doing. And um, you know, this is one of those things in preaching. You get to see the people, you know, as you lead worship, right. you get to see the people. In podcasting, you don't you don't get to see it. And um and so, you know, I tell myself all the time, every joke I tell on here is laughed at very just really hard. And people all <laughs> and people always ask themselves, I really think he could also do stand up. So, I know that's what's happening on the other side as you listen, but uh you know, we don't get to see you guys a lot and so New Room is a special place obviously in our hearts. And so, uh before we jump into this episode, Carolyn, I'd love to ask um man, we've just been on a ro- roller coaster the last few weeks. Um, coming yeah. coming out of New Room, what is God stirring up in your heart, and um, what are you thinking about? Um, the for me personally, the um, the what made New Room most valuable for me, what where I where I sank in deep in that um, in that soil was in the area of repentance. Mm. Um, there really there really are not words to express what I uh, f- felt viscerally uh, as wow. as um, David Thomas led that panel discussion on the outpouring, and then George yeah. uh, talked about um, how the outpouring for him started the day before right. when they did the witnessing circle and. Um, I, I, you, you were in the room, you were a couple of rows up from me and I remember walking by you and going, I can't not be down front. I can't right. not, I, right. I needed to be all the way at the altar before the conversation was even over. And of course the panel discussion disintegrated pretty quickly after that as everybody yeah. began to, to, to move into a time of repentance. And, um, and, and, uh, of course it's, it was. It's easy to get emotional in times like that, but I can say with some confidence that what what I experienced in that room was not just emotion. Mm. There was there was holy emotion yep. involved, but what I sensed more as as being more real was the um, a true hunger and deep desire, a genuine genuine heart for seeing. Our, our church become whole, mm. our nation become whole, our world become whole. Um, the, the whole, you know, that, that Revelation 7-9 thing, you know, that we, we all hunger for it. We all want it so bad and we don't know how to get there. But to, to, to really sink into the soil of, of repentance around um, issues of, of ethnic racial divisiveness and then right. everything that feeds into that. And so that's why I'm really 
excited about today's conversation. Um, Brian Loritz is our conversation today. He is a prolific writer. He's got six or eight books out, I think. Dynamic preacher. Um, his 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 whole thing, and rightly so. When as you hear him, you are going to hear a, a guy talk in a balanced and very intelligent way about multi-ethnic communities of faith and uh, what he calls ethnic unity. I I like what he does when he talks about not diversity, but ethnic unity. He's a teaching pastor at the Summit Church in uh, Durham, North Carolina, serves as the president of the Kinos Movement, an organization that exists to see the multi-ethnic church become the new normal in our country. And we can all say amen to that. Um, he is the author of eight books, um, Insider, Outsider, Saving the Unsaved, won uh, Christianity Today Book Award in 2017. The one we're going to talk about today is called The Offensive Church. Um, we talked together today about ethnic unity, about how the church can navigate the coming election season, how we can all play offense in the work of building ethnic unity, into not just into the church, but into our own lives. So I hope you listen Um, And we'll see you on the other side to unpack this. Well, Brian, welcome to the Art of Holiness podcast. It's so good to have you with us. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. So for uh, our listeners who might not know who you are, can you tell us a little bit of where you're coming from and how you ended up writing a book about church and the things that divide us? Yeah, you know, I'm married. Corey and I have been married for 24 years. Uh, have three adult sons who are hashtag adulting. Uh, <laughs> teaching pastor at the Summit Church. I'm also yeah. a, a visiting professor at Grimke Seminary, and uh, I've written a few books. My passion uh, has always been uh, kind of in the ethnic unity space, where. Uh, if you understand anything about the church in America to this day, uh, we're pretty much uh, homogenous. So kind of voluntary segregation has been the norm uh, in our church. That's starting to dissipate somewhat. Uh, some data actually says um, the conservative evangelical church from 1998 to 2020 actually tripled as it relates to uh, the amount of diverse churches. So it was 7% in 1998. Uh, in 2020, it had gotten up before the pandemic to about 22%. So I've always labored, written, spoke, spoken, taught uh, about the multi-ethnic church because I think it's a real need. Mm. Amen. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Um uh, the church that I serve is called Mosaic on purpose. Uh, back before everybody was using the term Mosaic, we've been here about 20 years. I've I discovered what I'm uh, what you're trying to write into and speak into, which is just how difficult it is uh, to to get folks to, um, uh, to to cross those those very comfortable lines that, especially in the South, have typified the church. Um, I want to say this before I go any further. I, I notice you're a University of Georgia fan. There's no question related to that. Just go dogs and thank you for being a man of extraordinary taste. Go dogs, um, absolutely. <laughs> Although we're, we're we're not playing like national champions this no, year, we're but not. no, well, we are not. Well, I was just at the University of Alabama game, Birmingham, uh, oh, yeah. uh, this past weekend. So yeah. Well, we won't have to. I just want to say go dogs, and that's it. <laughs> For now, because you know what counts is the win, and so yeah. 
what do they call the team that wins by one point? The winners. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. Um, the, the, the other thing I want to notice is I'm just grateful to you for writing a, a bold prophetic word for the church. Clearly, we're yeah. not there yet when it comes to our response to the ongoing uh, racial and ethnic divide. Um, it sounds like your first word to the church is that we need a different strategy, that we've been playing defense, speaking of football language, instead of offense. So can you say more about that? What is, what is the difference between playing offense and playing defense? And how does that play out, particularly around uh, this conversation? Yeah, I mean, experientially, when it comes to the race conversation, I think the church is constantly reacting instead of mm -hmm. being proactive. So, for right. example, you know, you just pick a national tragedy that happens to be centered around the issue of race, George Floyd, or whatever it may be. Um, you know, my inbox, my email inbox, my direct messages are lit up from very well-meaning Christians saying, hey, give me something to read. What can I do? What do we need to be doing uh, in the church? And it's great and it's wonderful. However, it's an uncanny pattern that kind of our interests kind of follows the news cycle. So when the news mm -hmm. cycle is up, when that's peaking, we're mm -hmm. all over it. When the news cycle dies down, we kind of go back to business as, as usual. So that's what I mean by defense, and that's not the posture that Jesus envisioned the church. Matthew 16, a very popular scene. Uh, he's in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, he says, who do people say that I am? His disciples throw out some answers. And then Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not pre prevail against it. Mm -hmm. um, gates, last time I checked, they guard, they defend, wow, they good. protect right? And so he actually pictures hell as being on the defensive mm -hmm. and the church being on the offensive, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the church that's supposed to be taking it to the kingdom of darkness and not the other way around. Good. And yeah. I think one of those areas we, we need to be, have more of an aggressive offensive mindset is in the area of what I call ethnic unity. Hmm. Yeah. So, so you, you quote from Matthew, and then if we take that all the way to Revelation, um, we, you know, when John pictures what it will be like in the realized kingdom, he says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So if that is, if that is the realized kingdom toward which we are all headed, why do we keep shooting ourselves in the foot? Well, so, you know, I, I think the missing link there is Matthew 6 and the Lord's Prayer. So what you just said is the reality of heaven. It's going to be this multi-ethnic reality where there mm -hmm. is no such thing as an unreached people group. Every mm -hmm. nation, tribe, and tongue is going to be there. Well, in Matthew mm -hmm. 6 the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> mm -hmm. So if heaven's going to be multi-ethnic, I don't want to have to die until I experience that. Mm -hmm. I, I want to experience that multifaceted, multi-ethnic kingdom reality here on earth. And so I think in general, that's why the church exists. We exist to labor with all of our might to bring our desired future reality here on earth. And that works in a, in a multiplicity of ways. Wow. Yeah. So, so here's, I'm just jumping in because I'm all excited now. Uh, but I, uh, back in my seminary days, there was a guy, his name was John Smith. He was from, he was an evangelist uh, from Australia. 
and uh, just a just a powerful. He, he had been a biker, you know. The he was doing tats before tats were very cool because I went to seminary before you know tats were very cool. Um, but uh, but he he gave a. I remember still today he gave a message one day uh, during a day of prayer at the seminary where he said, you know, whatever is whatever is in heaven, when we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying heaven down. So whatever is in heaven, that's what you want to pray for on earth. Whatever is not in heaven, you pray against on earth. So if there's no racism in heaven, I want to pray against racism on earth. If there's, uh, if there's no division in heaven, I want to pray against that kind of thing here. Um, I wonder how, how do you teach people to pray in, 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 yeah, I'll just stop there. How do you teach people how to pray toward ethnic unity? Well, I, I think you just answered it, right? I, I think what the Lord's Prayer, um, I, and, and I've never taken the Lord's Prayer to be an actual verbatim prayer. I've taken it more to be a, a guide, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I come to the part that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, mm-hmm. that then causes me to stop and really pray the same way that you're, that this individual that you referenced prayed. And that is, mm-hmm. what are the gaps between heaven and earth? And let us fill those gaps. So for example, I'm real big on the phrase ethnic unity, not ethnic diversity. You can mm-hmm. be diverse, but not unified. In fact, if you're ethnically diverse without being ethnically unified, it's just a matter of time until you're ethnically homogenous. Mm. Like people will, people will engage the experiment of diversity only so long. If they're not moving towards unity, right? That's a major problem and people will be disenchanted and end up leaving. And I think we experienced that during COVID mm. where mm-hmm. there was a bunch of ethnically diverse churches but there was a lot of disenchantment between how things were being handled, either, you know, if you want to take the political conversation or the race conversation. And I'm, I'm not here to recommend wh- what should have been done specifically, but mm-hmm. just getting people in the room is not enough. Mm-hmm. Jesus actually prayed, John 17, that they may be one. Mm-hmm. Right? So he, his prayer wasn't about diversity. Mm-hmm. His prayer was about unity. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's really, really good. We had a, um, we got to be a part of a conference last week that uh, called the yeah. New Room Conference. That's here in, uh, it's usually out of Nash or at Nashville, and, and this year it was here in Texas where I'm at. And um, and one of the speakers just led us beautifully in in realizing that that there is a massive difference. And I will be the first to admit that that has taken me time. I'm still trying to pull apart all these pieces of of the difference between just diversity for di- diversity as a good thing and then ethnic unity among a people. Um, mm-hmm. And that's new language um, mm-hmm. to processing. Uh, you mentioned in a report that came out in the midst of some of the more recent um, racially motivated incidents in our country. The report noted that the two most divided groups are, are white evangelicals and blacks. Um, how does that division play itself out? Are these groups divided within themselves or divided from each other or both or why? Yeah, pull that apart for us. Well, yeah, I, I think uh, I think one of the um, one of the answers to your question it seemed politically right, mm-hmm. and obviously, um, I, I think it would, it would be an overreach for me as a Christian to say here's how a person should vote. Um, I, I, I do I do think that we can speak very clearly to things that 
politics encompasses, right? So Christians should care for the poor, right? So that's mm-hmm. that's an easy one. This is stuff, Christians should be about justice. We should stand up for the marginalized, for the oppressed. Jesus says in Matthew 25, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. So we, we get all that. Um, but if you just kind of tease it out, I think in the 2016 election, for example, 96% of black Protestants um, voted for Hillary and 81% of white evangelicals voted for, for Trump. I, I even want to be careful with the 81%, which is a well-known figure. I know a lot of white evangelicals who voted for Trump, not because they love Trump. In fact, I know plenty of them that didn't like Trump. They just voted kind of party and platform over person. Um, so I even want to hold those statistics loosely. But not, nevertheless, if there's one thing we know about politics is uh, politics is a sport played by the subjective, right? Mm. We vote what will directly impact us. And so when you get a group of historically marginalized and oppressed individuals like African-Americans, uh, they're going to vote for a party that they perceive impacts them. Now, that's a whole nother conversation I'd love to have is let's just kind of look and just go, what in the world have the Democrats done for African-Americans in recent decades? So that's a conversation that we can have a different time. It's beyond the scope of what we're doing now. But because the perception, which goes all the way back to Lyndon Johnson, a Democrat who signed the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act and all these acts, the perception was Democrats care about matters that affect the African-American community. And because of that, there is this vast gap politically and ideologically in how we view things. Wow. Yes. And boy, that's just, uh, I want to have that other conversation. (laughs) We won't jump into it right now, but man, you, you fit on, uh, it's, it's complicated. It's just complicated. It's complex. And, 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 and I think to the extent that we try to boil it down to, um, you know, 144 characters or to a meme or, um, or to a quotable line, we do everybody such a disservice because all of it is more complicated than we give it credit for. And um, it seems to me, especially politically, we aren't, we aren't uh, even in my own church, I noticed when we sit down and talk to each other, we're not as far apart as we think right uh, because because the nuance because the nuances um the nuances draw us back toward the center um so, so but and it, that said our podcast focuses on supernatural ministry and practical holiness and intergenerational encouragement but i think what you're writing about uh i i, I think this is very much an issue of practical holiness uh, how how we live in the public square is very much an issue of practical holiness. So how do we live out our relationships with the quote unquote ethnic other so that we are living into the holiness God calls us toward and and how do those relationships transform us? I think these may be questions that you've asked that I'm asking back to you. So, yeah, you know, one of the things we had mentioned prior to this interview, I think some of you talked about uh, one of you talked about being a part of um, of the Methodist Church. And Mm -hmm. of course, you can't talk about Methodism without talking about John Wesley. And one of the things Mm -hmm. I think any fair historian would appreciate about Wesley is that in many regards, he was ahead of his time. I mean, here's a guy who lived in the 1700s. 
And listen, no need to deify him. We understand that he, like everybody else, there are some things about him that um, that we would do well not to uh, not to imitate. But there were there were some things about him that I think think was very admirable. And mm-hmm. especially he was ahead of his time in talking about issues of justice and especially racial justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the last letters he wrote was to William Wilberforce, um, right. encouraging him to continue the work. And I think what calibrated Wesley, uh, what allowed him to be above his time, especially in, in these matters, was his high regard of scripture. He, he tried as best as he could to filter his culture through his Bible and not his Bible through his culture. Right. And I think, I think that's, I think that's an area of division that unfortunately in today's media age, um, a lot of Christians are filtering their Bible through their media and not the media through the Bible. Uh, and so you can literally look at churches and go, that's the Fox News Church or that's the MSNBC Church or the Newsmax Church or the CNN Church, whatever you, yep. you want to say. And I, I think we just have to go back to basic Christian discipleship. And that is, let us allow the word of God to mm. form our worldview. And one of the implications that we'll have is how we view the ethnic other. Yeah, Pierce, this is exactly what Reward Sabanda was talking about Mm -hmm. last week. We had an interview with uh, Reward Sabanda, who's a teaching pastor with Saddleback, and he uh, he made the comment that our sociology informs our theology. Not that it should, but that it does. Um, and I hadn't, put, I hadn't heard it put in just those terms, but now I'm hearing you say it also. I could not agree more. Um, and, and just being aware of that, just, just you know, become aware of how your sociology is informing your theology, right? Well, well see, but, but not only do I agree with that statement, but that, that statement is also why I think theology must always be done, not just in community, but in eclectic community, right? Yes. Um, so it, it, even taking it out of a race box, I, I have blinders on because of my gender. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm going to see things through the perspective of a man. Um, and so even when I write sermons, um, there, there are a group of people, an eclectic group of people, um, who are diverse as it relates to gender, diverse as it relates to race, that I want their eyes on. And mm-hmm. they offer feedback to me because as a man, I'm blinded to how will a woman hear this? Mm-hmm. Uh, as a black man, I'm blinded to how will a white woman or how will a Korean or whatever. And so mm-hmm. I'm just a big believer that theology should be done in community because we all bring our unique perspectives to the issues. It's really That good. is brilliant. Yeah. So I, I'm going to stop here and I want you to say what you want to say, Pierce, but I need no, no, every, all of our listeners to write that down. <laughs> Theology should be done in community. Write that down. Write it down. Put it on a post-it note. Put it on your bathroom mirror. And then ask yourself why you're not in the diverse small group. <laughs> right. I think that's the, I think that's the interesting line in that, the, the interesting line in that comment is um, I think the church as a whole um, has been preaching for a while, um, I mean, more outspoken than a while, then, hey, it needs, like, church is best done, faith is best done, practiced and taught and lived in, in community, but your yeah. line of of a centric community, of, of a diverse community, 
is one that, um, at least for the, uh, in all transparency and honesty, um, that's the one we, I think we need to wake up to. Um, is yeah. You, yeah, you got a home group. Good for you. Really grateful for you. What does yeah. your home group look like? You know, and I think, yeah. um, or better yet, not even your home group, you know, what does your table look like on a Friday night? Um, yeah. and, and who is at it? Um, I'd love to ask this question. I'd love to ask like for churches that are waking up to this communities that are waking up to this, um, what are two or three things can a church do today to, to step into the offensive, um, in these areas of ethnic unity? Well, number one, you, you have to be able to, uh, get a good feel for your context where people are, right? So when people come to, to any church, they come already um, shaped and formed by the culture. And a part of what that means, especially in an American context, is that comes with a lot of racial baggage. Mm -hmm. So in doing this work, there are three kinds of people when it comes to the gospel and race. There's the ready, the reluctant, and the resistant. And so I outline all three of these things in the book. Um, The ready are like, let's do it, green light, let's go. By the way, ready does not mean mature. Mm. Um, some, some, <laughs> some of the most damaging people to the work are actually the ready because they tend to see everything through the lens of race and they tend to lack uh, appropriate pace as relates to where other people are. Uh, at the other extreme are the resistant. These are people, the concrete has dried. I am who I am. I'm not budging. I'm not changing. If I hear anything about race, I'm going to send you an email. I'm going to yell, scream, cuss, and fuss about it. Um, You're not going to be able to do anything with them. My experience, especially in in many white evangelical churches, is that the bulk of the people are reluctant. Uh, It's a yellow light. We're open but cautious. They may not sign up for the uh, class on race. Uh, but I think with the right pastoral tone and pace, they can be brought along. That's the last thing I'll say. You're going to have to have pace is everything here. Mm. It's everything. And the problem with the race conversation is we have too many activists and not enough reconcilers. Uh, activists yeah. tend to be issue, issue driven. They're focused on the what? Praise God for activists, by the way. So I'm not saying we don't need activists. We do. Yep. But because of activists, I can sit on any seat I want to on public transportation, drink out of any water fountain. We get all that. But reconcilers take things a step further. So wh- whereas the activists are concerned about the issue, reconcilers are concerned about the person, the relationship. Mm. Sometimes I hear people even talking about reparations and I go, it sounds to me like you want their stuff more than you want their relationship. Mm-hmm. It doesn't use the word re- reparations. It uses words like restitution. Um, and in the Bible, the whole reason why you make restitution. All right. So I borrowed your ax while borrowing your ax. It broke. So I need to make restitution. The whole reason for restitution is you want to keep the the door open for relationship. I want to remove whatever the barrier was so that you and I can sit down together. And so, you know, I think that's missing in the reparations uh, uh, conversation. And I'm not here to get in whether or not we should have reparations. I am saying uh, in in God's eyes, who cares if you get reparations if you stop at reparations? Wow. 
We yeah. want to right what's wrong because we want the relationship. And that's what this conversation needs. It needs people who are concerned about reconciling uh, the racial divide and bringing people together. Boy, that's really good. I'm thinking about that line at the end of Luke when Jesus uh, shows up to his disciples, the resurrected Jesus shows up to his disciples again, and he says to them, listen, stay here until you receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you talk about some of the ready being n- n- not the not the ready, think of themselves as ready, but maybe not ready for prime time. Those are the folks who jump. It's, it's yeah. Peter getting ahead of himself, jumping out of the boat and yeah. swimming onto shore before. Yeah you know, and, and not thinking twice. And so, uh, there's a, there's a real word there mm-hmm. and the, and the word is not drag your feet. The word is not, uh, don't do anything. It's make sure you're filled with the Holy spirit. And that's okay. a right, that's a right now kind of thing. Get your, okay. yeah, yeah. Care, care for your, care for your personal spiritual maturity so that as you enter the conversation, you have something actual to offer. Is that right? That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to push a little. I want to push you a little further on the, what two or three things can a church today do to play offense in that area of ethnic unity? Um, if you brought it down to, uh, um, like, what's working out there? Who, who, who's do? Where are the best practices? Well, as far as uh, what what can you do, um, you know, I, I mentioned three things in the book: um, learn, lament, and live. Uh, one is, is learn, you know, uh, do things together, have catalytic experiences together, go to museums together, um, take moments to read books together. Um, you know, you might want to, you might want to highlight certain events on the calendar, uh, together. You might want to have a Juneteenth fellowship together, or, you know, uh, it's actually Hispanic Heritage Month right now. Whatever your context is, and, mm-hmm. and I know, I know this is really volatile, right? Because there's this big, big conversation about, about Black History Month and so many people saying we need to remove, uh, Black history because that's woke. Uh, here's how here's how I like to address that. Um, you know, a couple years ago, my wife's from Arizona. Our family went to Arizona um, to spend Thanksgiving. And while there, she she got us in the car, uh, me and our three kids. And for the next six hours, she just kind of took us on a tour down memory lane. So we we went to the apartment complex she grew up in and she pointed out the playground and who she played with. And she showed us her little Catholic elementary school and then her Catholic high school that she went to. And we ate at the Mexican joint. She ate at every Friday night. And about five hours in, my kids were like, shoot me now. (laughs) This is her. This is not me. Like how much more of this? And I had to just kind of call a timeout and say, I, I get it. I get this isn't your history. Hmm. But because we love her and because she's family, that's why we're here. Yeah, yeah. it's good. That's just, I, I won't even put that in a Christian box. That's just called being a good human being. Yeah. Because, because we are in the family of God with one another, like, I want to learn your history. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, what interests you should interest me. 
And yeah. I think that commitment to learn together, uh, lament together. Um, you know, when when the when that tragedy happens, the Bible calls it grieve with those who grieve. Yeah. And our first move shouldn't be hold on, we don't know the facts. Right. Mm. So when my wife comes to me hurting, my first play as an empathetic husband should not be, hey, here's some tissue, dry your eyes, we don't know the facts. The Bible says, no, no, call time out. Yeah. And grieve with her. Yeah. Again, I just think that's called being a good human being. And so I yeah. think we need to create moments in our worship experience where we lament together. It doesn't mean you, you for example, that doesn't mean we change the sermon. It could just mean we're just going to have an extended prayer time. Something has mm-hmm. happened. And you can do that without casting a verdict. Yes. Right. There, there is yes. a way to do that without saying police people are bad. Or this group of people is bad. Keep right. the focus on people who are hurting, right? And just call, really call people to uh, call people to uh, pray together. And then yeah. the last one is live. And, and what we mean by that is we're just going to lock arms with one another. This is not something we're going to solve. Hmm. We're just going to go on a journey. And and I think so many people we open the door for bitterness, for frustration, for uh, quitting. When we approach this as a program and a formula that if I do these things, it's going to fix it. It's not going to fix it. We're just in this journey together and we're in it for the long haul. Right. Yeah. Well, you just, you just, um, that is exactly what I say when it comes to women in ministry. I don't think it's a a thing we're ever going to fix because we live on this side of Genesis 3, but we can get better at it. And I personally can be discipled into a more healthy place when it comes to uh, women in ministry or when it comes to ethnic unity or when it comes to, you know, insert your thing here. And uh, I, I can become a more, I can become a more mature follower of Jesus simply by doing my part, not by assuming that I'm trying to, you know, finish a test. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think the I think the part on those three, those last three, the learn, the lament, and, and the live is this I think one of the things I learned, um, one of my really great friends was African American guy. Um, we were doing life really close. We were in um like one of those uh what John Wesley called a discipleship band where we had high levels of accountability with each other and our families did life together. And so we were we were in that 2014, 2013, 2014 to 2016 until we moved away to Nashville and and um, still friends with that person, but but we're not in the same kind of covenant relationship anymore just because of distance and uh, and for right or wrong. But uh, I remember when racial tensions began to come back up on the national topic, 2013, 2014, that time frame, and... Um, he was he was someone that was walking through it, obviously, and I was walking through it, and I was asking questions of how do we fix it, how do we fix it, and and it was out of a deep desire, I hope and I pray to to not see the pain of that, and and he taught me in that season um, the which I have just accredited to Jesus through him is the art of just sitting and letting him determine the conversation when it changes. Let me just sit with you while you grieve. Yeah. 
Let me just be present. Let me not mm-hmm. try to fix. And mm-hmm. when you're ready to talk about anything else, we'll change the topic. But until then, I won't try to fix and I'll just try to sit. And um, and I've been reminded of that. It's interesting, right? When, when God, uh, you know, speaks the same word to in multiple areas and you go, okay, maybe you're trying to say something to me, you know, maybe, maybe there's a word coming. Um, and so just for, you know, for whoever that's for, um, just sit, sit. Staying staying in the conversation is a way to be offensive (laughs) instead of defensive, right? Defensiveness. I'm just, I'm using your words here, Brian, but defensiveness seems to me to be, uh, would would lead me to want to get out of the conversation quickly. Mm. Yeah. it's mm, good. Yeah. You mentioned in your book this phrase, the, the new humanity. How do you define that? What do you mean by it? The coming together of Jew and Greek. I mean, it's the, uh, the Greek word Paul uses, kainos, K-A-I-N as in Nancy, O-S, which is really the idea of invention, something mm. the world's never seen before. And he uses that together for the coming together of Jew and Gentile in this thing called the church to form what he says in Ephesians 2, one new man. Hmm. And so the new humanity has to do, Martin King Jr. called it the beloved community. It's hmm. people from different ethnicities coming together as one. Hmm. That's really good. That's great. So I want to shift a little bit um, and, and, and get to something that Pierce and I are just we're hopeful to have more and more of this kind of conversation as uh, as as the election season comes more into view. Um, I was talking to a pastor just recently who had planted a church in North Carolina maybe 12 years ago, um, and she was describing a conversation their congregation back then, congregation that they had as politically and ethnically diverse, um, and 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 she said it was beautiful. It was it was not huge. It was but it was beautiful. It was good. And they were doing okay until the 2016 election. And then things got very tense. And then when the 2020 election hit uh, with, the, with the, you know, the pandemic tension already in play, um, she said that the, the election just tore them apart. So, and, and, and my sense is that her church is, well, I know this to be true. Her church is not unique in that way. So what can we learn from what happened in churches uh, in the 2020 election, and how can we do it differently in 2024? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think I think the first box to be checked is, can we agree that Jesus Christ isn't coming back on Air Force One? Mm-hmm. Uh, can we agree <laughs> he doesn't ride the backs of donkeys or elephants, that we're the people of the Lamb? Okay, if we can agree on that, we're good. Um, I think we, we should also be able to agree that not any political earthly party uh, can encompass the fullness of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then I think that requires a deep-seated humility in us, right? That when we do vote, no matter how you vote, I think I think that... I think a healthy Christian should always nurture attention. And that is, there's a lot that I like about this person and party I'm voting for, but there are some things that does not line up with my kingdom convictions. And I think that's on either side of the aisle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that should work in us incredible humility to have our convictions, but to not put them in the category of essentials. And I think that was the big no-no is Christians jump from political convictions to now this whole idea, if you don't vote a certain way, then somehow some way that that felt like that was put on par with you not being a genuine, legitimate Christian. Mm. Yep. yep. Right? Yep. And yep. so I, I just I just feel like we have to give people latitude uh, on how we vote on this and uh-huh. allow people to see it differently. So, for example, I, I've got many pro-life friends who vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and... And they don't want to be reduced to a single issue kind of person. Right. And I, I just think we just got to give them room for that. And mm-hmm. so if we can just get people to admit how I vote does not get me in or out of heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Okay. If that's the case, then breathe. Yeah. I think the other thing people need to finally understand is, um, is diversity Ethnic diversity breeds all other kinds of diversity. And it's a beautiful thing to have political diversity. Hmm. It's a beautiful thing. All right? There will be Democrats and Republicans and independents in heaven. Right. Um, so because of that, stop trying to clone people into your image. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. give people the freedom to, to vote their conviction. I think this is to attach a passage to it. And I'll... I'll I'll end it with this. I think that's Romans 14. When when Paul just says, listen, some of you all feel the freedom to eat certain things or drink certain things. Others of Mm -hmm. you don't feel that freedom. Each Mm -hmm. person must do as his conscience is telling him to do. It's really good. And Mm -hmm. and we Mm -hmm. just we just gotta stop this this nonsense, right? So, anyways. Mm -hmm. It's really, Mm -hmm. it's really Mm -hmm. good. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so one last question. And just a reminder, uh, Brian's book, The Offensive Church, or Offensive Church, not offensive, but Offensive Church, uh, Breaking the Cycle of Ethnic Disunity, um, is out and came out this summer. Um, Along with that book, one of the lessons and things you gave us today was to learn. So in that learning spirit, uh, where are the other mentors outside of yourself in this work? What is the best way for someone to get spiritually prepared to play offense as we learn? So just some books, recommendations, and some people that we need to be listening to. Yeah, kind of uh, our Yoda in this ethnic unity space is a Jesus-loving Black woman named Dr. Corey Edwards. Hmm. Uh, She's the assistant professor of sociology at The Ohio State University. she is she is the one really who for a living researches the multi-ethnic church hmm. uh, i would i would read go on amazon type her name in uh i'd start with her book the elusive dream um hmm. that's uh that's a big one uh pastor albert tate he pastors in southern california uh you know he's with the global leadership summit uh he's written extensively on the subject of race dr tony evans wrote a book called oneness embraced uh, which is a profound book. Get the latest edition because he included a huge section on critical race theory. Mm. Uh, I find that most people who use that phrase don't know what, what that really is. So educate yourself uh, on that. 
Um, you know, you can, uh, gosh, uh, Sarah Shin is a, is a Korean author. Uh, I forget the name of her book, but you can go online, plug her name in. She's written some wonderful things on that. So um, last thing, the best uh, book that I've read on the civil rights movement is actually a three-part book uh, by Taylor Branch. If you type his name in those those three words, uh, they actually won the Pulitzer Prize. At wow. least one of them did. Wow! So I would, I mean, there's just tons of information out there. It's really good. It's really good. That is so good. So I know you said that um, that there will be Republicans and Democrats and independents in heaven. Will there be University of Georgia fans and University of Florida fans in heaven? I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> but I think we need to get it on the record. Uh, UGA for sure. Um, <laughs> I, I, I hate to admit it. There'll be some Florida fans, but they better be on the other side. Let me, let me ask, let me ask, let me ask you this. Cause I think this is a, a question I've just enjoyed asking. So it's not a part of our, uh, it's not a question we sent, but a question that I've enjoyed asking people recently is how are you delighting with God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I've in recent years I've really taken uh, this issue of Sabbath seriously. I'm I'm trying to figure out when in church history we put an asterisk yeah. next to one of the Ten Commandments. So yep. I think I think the Sabbath for me it's uh, six p.m. Friday to six p.m. Saturday. That's um, that's a major way that I'm delighting and and not trying to fill it up with a bunch of rules and even spiritual stuff. I mean, Jesus says the Sabbath was created for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so to find what brings me joy and put it on repeat, um, yeah. Sabbath is kind of a major way in which I'm, I'm doing that. I love it. I love That's it. beautiful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to yeah. be with us, to, to teach us, and to, to walk through the conversation with us. We're very grateful for That's you. It's been really, really nice to know you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Such a rich conversation, such a yeah. um, a conversation of, I hope, you know, for all of our listeners, um, you know, one of, of listening deeply um, and, yeah. and walking together in that. Carolyn, in this one, um, like we said, so much good stuff. What, what are you sitting on on this one? As we talked, what you sat on before New Room, what are you sitting on on this one? Well, um, theology should be done in community. Mm. Um, the, Diverse it's, it's community. Just so in- Right. It, that's right. And, and, and that's just such an important word um, that kind of brings us back to what we heard. Uh, you and I did that conversation with Reward Sabanda. I probably that conversation will show up after this one sure. on the Art of Holiness. Yeah, it will. But, um, but, but Reward talked about how sociology, our sociology tends to inform our theology. Not that it should, but that it does. That's just a fact. We tend to form our theology um, in, inside of our own culture, and that's something we need to pay attention to. Um, and, and so we, we need the community around us. That's why we say at Mosaic Church, community is essential, but not just community, as you just said, um, diverse community is essential. That's what, and, I, and I really like this question, what are the gaps between heaven and earth? Mm-hmm. I, uh, we, we had that whole conversation about how to pray into this. What are the gaps between heaven and earth? And that's that's something also we need to pay attention to. What did you take away? Yeah, I think the I think the reminder 
Um, there's a lot that I took away. You know, I definitely have some reading material to read. Um, 100%, yeah. you know, and, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. here's, here's an interesting, uh, I'm going to answer two questions here. Um, okay. You know, one was going back to Asbury for a second, or not Asbury, but to New Room for a second. Mm-hmm. And that morning with the Asbury panel, as we, as we, um, there's moments of repenting as there was a deep cry. Um, there were moments that we met with God all throughout the conference. A hundred percent. There was emotion in the room at certain times more than others. There was praise and joy um, more than tears at other moments. There was, there was incredible uh, family dynamics. All of that's true. There was a different, there was a different level of his presence, a different taste to the room during that morning. Yeah. That Thursday morning. Like it got real up in here. It, That's what it felt like. It did. And so so what I came away as I looked to a friend of mine and he was praying with someone. So I didn't get to ask him. And in fact, this is just a good reminder. I need to go back and ask him. He was a leader, a behind the scenes leader at Asbury um, at the outpouring. Um, mm. And I never went. And, um, and so... I imagine that's what it felt like. Mm. That's what mm. I imagine the Asbury outpouring, mm-hmm. the difference mm-hmm. in that versus other moments of New Room. I say that mm-hmm. because um, especially hearing that the Asbury outpouring really started the night before in that, in that, in that gathering um, around, the, around, yeah, around racial reconciliation, the witnessing circle. around the yeah. witnessing circle. Um, you know, and so I say all that to think through um, the fact that Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Father are going to meet us in an, uh, an interesting and deep, profound, real way in that moment, and different than the others, not to discount the others, but different in that one, just reminds me of the of the of the depth of the broken heart of the Father, that that's our reality. That's really good. And that's really good. And so, yep. And that that that's what I think. That's what I think really stood out for me uh, in that moment. And we're sitting here talking like insiders and expecting everybody who is listening to have sure. known about the new room moment. But um, but they were talking about the witnessing circle that happened the day before the outpouring and the witnessing circle is where you just, in this case, in this case, it was, it was an opportunity to read the wills of slave owners and, um, and just to acknowledge that that had once been a reality that human beings were passed from generation to generation in the same paragraph as silverware and tables. And, um, and, and, and so for me, it was, it was such a profound thought that this is that justice is where God is mm. is so likely to show up, which is what the the minor prophets tell us, right? Let justice roll down roll like down. waters. I put away the noise of your songs. Yeah, I don't want. You know, I'm not asking you to 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 go through the motions. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. And, and I want to say I, I was particularly grateful for what Brian said about pace. Yeah. Um, it, we don't shoot out from moments like that, and there's 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 two there's 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 two dangers. One is to shoot out and become you know to be the um, 
unprepared ready ones um, yep. and on fire but unprepared uh, that's not helpful it is also not helpful to have a moment like that and then go home and and go back to life as usual right. and nothing changes right pace is everything to sustain the work and 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 not to i love what he said not trying to fix it mm. let's let's just just become a better human being myself yeah for me to become a better christian for me to work at this yeah more intentionally yeah that's enough yeah. yeah and so that that moment connects to my my the moment with brian today was was the lamenting i think there's i think i have a lot to learn yes. and i think um i you know have been hopefully at some level attempting to learn uh, for a while mm-hmm. now, but continuing to learn. But but I think I don't, you know, I, I lamented in a different way that Friday morning. Um, mm. And and so, um, and you know, I did repenting for the lack of lamenting, not to try mm-hmm. to rhyme, but mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. and... And so, so yeah, that idea and rewards the one and my friend from years ago, and then today again being like, hey, like um, when you have a friend uh, who is walking through it, um, it is best to sit with them and let them determine when the conversation is changed, not to yes. change it yourself. And just a great reminder um, and lesson yeah. for me. So, um, so much to learn. Hey, I hope you go get um, Brian's book. It's out everywhere books are sold. Um, as we meant, or we talked about earlier, the offensive church and uh, offensive church. I don't know why I want to say offensive, but offensive. They're spelled very, <laughs> yeah. very closely. And uh, and so anyway, uh, yes, Carolyn, you have one and, more and thing. I was going to say and and um, and keep listening. We're going to continue this conversation. That's right. We've got some other folks lined up. And, That's right. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation. So um, get into the conversation. Let it shape you. Yeah. Uh, I, my, my heart, my prayer is for a different spiritual environment mm. in 2024. Amen. So, yeah. so, so, Carol, let me ask you the same question. Ask Brian, how are you delighting with God as we end our time today? Uh, well, I've just uh, had a week with my daughter and granddaughter, and they are my delight and my my joy. And so uh, that's just remembering some of those sweet moments with them. That's a nice thing this week. Mm. Thank you for asking. How about you? Um, yeah, journaling. I've been journaling a lot over the last month. And uh, I have found in my life, um, looking back, God's just been sweet to remind me that I, I have been the most, I've been my healthiest with Him um, and in multiple facets of my life when I've journaled. And so uh, yeah. it's been a good practice. Good. And then I am getting ready by the time um, I'm getting ready to delight uh, for 12 days with my wife and just my wife in London and Scotland. Cannot wait. It's going to be a great time oh, as we, as we head out, joy. as we head out to the UK for a celebrate our 10th mm-hmm. anniversary. So looking forward to it. Carolyn, always great to spend some time with you. Love you so much. Love you guys for listening. And uh, we'll see you guys next week.